All right, that video still freaks me out. I said, I said in the first service, I can only handle one Bryce Parker. I don't need two Bryce Parker, so it was a little scary for me. Well, good morning. How are y'all this morning? Oh, that was terrible. Did your team lose? Is that what it is? How are you this morning? All right, that's much, much better. I'm glad you're with us this morning. I hope you've been enjoying reading the F260 plan. I know that I have. It's been really cool to see how God's been speaking to all of us through His Word. And we've been reading some very interesting things in the past weeks. I mean, we've seen the really cool story of Moses and how Moses is, God comes to Moses through this burning bush and tells him, you know, you're going to lead these people out of, uh, out of Egypt. And Moses goes and we have the ten plagues and the Passover and all that craziness. And then God delivers them out of Egypt and the Egyptian army pursues them. And they're kind of caught in a place where they have nowhere to go. And it doesn't look like there's going to be a way for them to get away. And God parts the Red Sea. I mean, how cool is that? And we see God guide the Israelites through the wilderness by this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And God provides for their every need along the way by giving them manna from heaven and water from rocks. And so now they get to Mount Sinai and they finally have arrived. And the Lord is about to deliver to them his instructions, his covenant, what Eric was talking about earlier. He's going to give his covenant to his people. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, open up to Exodus chapter 20 and read along with me. So verse 1, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not, hold on, there we go. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the fourth Uh, third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for thousands of generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet 
your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, if you have a background in church, and even if you don't have a background in church, you probably know what these are. What are these? That's right. They're the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you're over the age of 35, you probably were in a classroom where these were hung in your classroom at one point or one time before they took them out. So the Ten Commandments are probably one of the greatest things ever written in human history. This is the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God gives his people to set them apart. And if they accept this covenant and if they obey the covenant, then God promises to make them his treasured possession. And the very first of the Ten Commandments was not to have any other God but God himself. It was the most important commandment, even above adultery, murder, and theft. Idolatry is when we take anything that is created and we let it take the place of God in our lives and our hearts. And it's an issue that God takes very, very seriously. And God warns the Israelites over and over again throughout all of the Old Testament. He warns them about the dangers of worshiping false gods. So horrific was idolatry in God's sight that he commands the Israelites not to leave even a remnant of the pagan people who they conquered and their idols. Look in Deuteronomy 7. It says, you must destroy all the nations the Lord your God hands over to you. Show them no mercy and do not worship their gods or they will trap you. You must burn their idols in fire and you must not covet the silver or gold that covers them. You must not take it or it will become a trap for you, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. So why would God be so opposed to the sin? Why, would he see, why, would, why does it seem that it, he has to constantly warn Israel over and over and over again about idolatry? Well, one is because our God is a jealous God. In Exodus 34, it says, You must not worship any other gods, for the Lord, whose what? Whose name is jealous. His very name is jealous. Is a God who's jealous about what? What is God jealous about? He's jealous about the relationship that he has with you and me. See, our God is a jealous God. When we think of jealousy, we think it's a bad thing. And our jealousy usually is a bad thing. It's not very good. But God's jealousy is a jealousy of righteousness and of love. It's a loving jealousy because we were made to find our greatest joy in the Lord and in the Lord alone. God doesn't want anything or anyone to take the place of the relationship that you and I were created to have with him. And so when we put anything in the place where God rightfully should sit, it offends him. It offends him and it destroys our relationship with him. The second reason that I think God makes such a big deal out of it is because he knows how easy it is for us to slip into idolatry. See, at least once a year I read an article that says there's scientific evidence that we're all hardwired to worship a higher being, even atheists. We're all uh, hardwired to worship a higher being. And the truth of that is we are. I mean, God created us with hearts that long to worship And we see this longing in all cultures. It doesn't matter where you go on this planet, any race, any tribe, any people, you will find people engaged in worship of some kind. And it's because God gave this to us. You don't have to be a scientist to see that there is a God consciousness in the heart of every human being. 
In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon claimed that God has planted eternity in the human heart. Or in other words, God has put a desire for him in every single heart. And because of this, idolatry is more present and more destructive in our hearts than most of us would ever realize. It's destructive because we look to non-eternal things to fulfill this need in our hearts and it can only be filled by the eternal Lord. And then we're left empty and unfulfilled. And unfortunately, history shows over and over again that people have taken this natural inclination to worship and instead of directing it in its proper direction to the Lord, they worship other things. Paul describes this in Romans 1. He says, And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who was worthy of eternal praise. So see, worshiping false gods, worshiping idols, it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. That's why it's at the top of the Ten Commandments. In fact, Martin Luther said that all of the other commandments are simply implications of the first two commandments of there is only one God and you worship him alone. In other words, the rest of the Ten Commandments are obeyed if you obey the first two. So, for example, if God is your only God and you worship him alone, guess what? You won't lie. Because why do we lie? Most of the time we lie to avoid consequences or make ourselves look better. But if we worship God and not our image, then our image doesn't need to be protected. And we won't lie to protect it, right? You won't covet if you worship God alone because you won't find your identity in the car you drive, the home you own, the clothes you wear, the income you make, the intellect you have, the achievements, accomplishments, and possessions you obtain. If God is God on your heart, then those things won't matter to you. If Jesus is the God in our hearts, then nothing else can take his place. Not sex, not fame, not money, not power, not glory, not intellect, not achievement, not passion or pleasure. And so Luther's argument and what the Bible says is that idolatry is at the heart of all of our issues. The root problems of all of our sin and rebellion is in our worship of idols. But what I think happens is when we read about idolatry, we easily dismiss it as something that we don't do. Because we're Americans and we live in 2018. When we think of idolatry, we think of people worshiping a golden monkey in the woods somewhere in a far-off country. And idols stir up this Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom kind of feeling in us, right? And we say to ourselves, we don't worship idols, but we do. We do. And I think sometimes our idols can be far sillier than a golden monkey in a temple in a far-off land. See, all of us are guilty of idolatry. So what does idolatry look like for us? What do our modern-day idols look like? Well, to be honest, I don't think they look much different from idols of the past and the way that people worship them in the past. In the book of Acts, it describes the cultures of the ancient Greek-Roman world, and each city worshipped its favorite gods. They built shrines around these images uh, and statues of these gods that they worshipped. And when Paul goes to Athens... He sees that Athens is literally filled with images of these gods. Acts 17, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. 
See, the Parthenon of Athena overshadowed everything in Athens, but there were other gods represented on every street corner in every public place. There was Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, Ares, the god of war, Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth. Now, when we look at our modern-day society, we think, well, that doesn't look anything like our, our world. We don't look anything like that, but the truth is we aren't that much different from them. Timothy Keller said this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, every culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its priesthood, its totems, its rituals. Each one of us has its shrines, whether it's office towers, spas, gyms, studios, or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster. What are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement, but these same things that have su- assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and in our society. Now, we may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. So yeah, we don't have Greek temples that house these mythical gods, but we still worship false gods nonetheless. And the temples have simply changed location, and now the temples are in our own hearts. And I think this makes it more dangerous for us because it's subtle. Because we can take normal, everyday things, things that are really good in of themselves, and we can take them and make idols out of them without realizing it. In Ezekiel 14, it says, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that will make them fall into sin. And God's saying to these leaders of Israel, you've set up idols in your heart. And they probably responded the way that we would respond. Idols? What idols? I don't see any idols. And what God's saying is that the human heart takes good things. Things like a successful career. Things like love, material possessions, even family. And he turns them into ultimate things. And we take those things and our hearts make them the center of our lives We think that they can give us significance and security and safety and fulfillment. But they can't. Only God can. And John Calvin said, all of our hearts are idol factories, which means that our hearts are constantly creating new idols. Anything can be an idol. And everything has been an idol. I mean, let's go back to the first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. So that begs the question, well, what do you mean, other gods? And the answer comes in the next commandment. You must not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or the waters below. That includes everything in the world. See, most people know you can make a god out of money, and most people know that you can make a god out of sex. However, what I think we miss is that anything in life can serve as an idol. We can and have allowed everything to take the place of God. So what is an idol? 
It's the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. Idolatry starts in the heart, craving, wanting, enjoying, being satisfied by anything you treasure more than God. It could be a relationship. It could be academics. It could be career. It could be the approval of other people. It could be a hobby. It could be entertainment. It could be sports. It could be your spouse or your kids. It could be anything. So let me ask you some questions today that might help you identify idols that are in your life. What preoccupies or rules your heart, your thoughts, your time? What compels you? What controls you? What drives you? What motivates you? What does your heart cling to? What takes first place when it comes to your schedule? What gives you a sense of worth? What defines your identity? What do you crave? Are you looking for someone or something to provide what only God can? Where do you run to for comfort when things go bad and you're stressed out? Do you go to alcohol? Do you run to food? That's what I do. Do you run to pornography? To vice? Do you get angry? Do you curse? Do you just go to bed and pull the covers over your head pretending that it's all going to go away? What do your family or close friends think may be idols in your life? That's a great question to ask because oftentimes others can see things more clearly than we can. They can see the idols in our lives better than we can. What do you want more than anything else? I mean, if I came up to you and said, all right, I'm going to give you one wish, one wish, whatever you want, you can have it. It'll be right there. What do you ask for? What do you make the biggest sacrifices for? Sacrifices of your time, your energy, your money, effort, and devotion. Is it Jesus? Whose approval are you seeking? Is it Jesus? And what do you treasure the most? What's the one person or one thing, if it was taken away from you, would ruin everything? If everything else was taken away, What's the one thing that you could not bear to live without? Is it Jesus? Well, as you ask yourself these questions, remember, when we allow anything apart from God to rule us, compel us, control us, comfort us, give us fulfillment, we've created an idol. Whenever we look to something other than God to, to, to fulfill our deepest needs, to satisfy our longings, to give us hope, to define our identity, we have slipped into idolatry. Martin Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. So if we're really being honest with ourselves, it's probably not that difficult for us to find idols that have taken up residence in our hearts. We all have them. Every one of us. We all have them hidden in us. The question is, is what do we do about them? 
How do we remove them? How do we remove the power they have over us? How can we be freed from our idols so that, so that our hearts are directed to the one who created us? Well, here's the first thing I think we can do. We can name it. I know that sounds simple and crazy, but we can. We can name it. If we can name our idol, then we've taken a step in the right direction. If we can be honest with ourselves and allow God to speak to us and tell us what's taken his place upon our hearts and give it a name, then it will help us to unmask it. Because once you've named it, you can unmask it for what it really is. And you can see how it lies to you and how it grieves the heart of Christ, and how it doesn't compare to what God has for you. See, if you worship control, you know you can't control. You know the worry and anxiety that you walk in when you try to control things. So control has betrayed you. If you pursue comfort, you know that comfort is fleeting and doesn't last, so it's betrayed you. So we can name it and unmask it, and then we have to repent of it. We have to ask forgiveness, and we have to do that every time we find a new idol in our heart. Every time we find ourselves putting something in front of God, we have to repent and tear that idol down. And then we have to replace it. We have to repent, remove it, and replace them. Idols cannot simply be removed. They have to be replaced. Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees who thought they could be righteous in their own strength and works. They were following this false religion of self-reformation. In Matthew 12, he says this to them. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds the former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter this person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. What Jesus is saying is that while we may be able to remove evil from our hearts through willpower or some other means, and while our hearts may be clean and in order, if we do not fill our hearts with Jesus, that evil will return and in return in greater force. See, idols in our hearts can't just be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they'll grow back. So we have to replace them with what they were designed to be filled with in the first place, and that's God. But by God, I don't mean this general belief in his existence. Most people have that, yet their souls are riddled with idols. What we need is a living encounter with God. An encounter that changes everything. An encounter that changes the way that we think and changes the things that we love. And that encounter is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Look at the end of 1 John. John says this in chapter 5. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know who? We can know the true God. And we can what? Have fellowship with the true God. Because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. So, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. How do we live free of sin and idols? By receiving the spiritual understanding that is given by Christ and Christ alone. See, Jesus gives us the knowledge of God, of who God is, that God is true, that he exists that he's behind all things, that he's the creator and maker 
and creator of all things, both heaven and earth and all that's in it. And because of his amazing sacrifice that Jesus pours his blood out on the cross, we can now encounter, experience, and have fellowship with the living God. I know it sounds simple, but that's the truth of it. The more we know and experience Jesus, the better we are able to overcome the idols that we put in the place of our hearts. Because it's a complete perspective shift for us. Because of what Jesus has done to give us new life, because of the great sacrifice and love that was poured out for us, our whole lives change. And when I say our whole lives, I mean every aspect of them. The things we seek, the things that we give our attention to, the things that we sacrifice, our time and energy and resources. When you stand before before the presence and the power of God, your life should change and all of those things should be directed to him and him alone. The things of this earth should no longer have a hold on our lives after we experience Jesus. Because if we understand the depth of God's love for us, if we truly understand it, if we understand the immense cost of the sacrifice that was paid For you and me, if we hold that reality in our hands, in front of us, then the things that we chase here on this earth have no meaning. Only God has meaning. And so as the band comes up, I want to ask you this. What idols are you hiding in your hearts this morning? Because we all have them. I have them and you have them. Maybe you need to take some time this morning and ask God what is between him and you. Ask God to reveal to you what's been blocking that relationship between him and you. And then maybe you need to come up here to this altar and get on your knees and confess it to the Lord. Ask him for forgiveness. Repent of it. Ask him to give you the strength to tear those idols down. Maybe you need to be anointed and prayed over. Because listen, sometimes I've got idols in my life that are strongholds. And I'm trying to work through them, man. I am. I'm trying to work through them. But I know the only way that I'm going to overcome them is I have to be on my knees praying and allowing the Lord to reign in my life. So if you need prayer, you need to be prayed over, you can do that next steps area. And there are people back there that understand and know what you're going through and are willing to pray over you and walk with you on this journey. See, the only way to displace these idols, it isn't by human effort, but by divine action and surrender to that divine action. The only way to remove these idols from your heart is not by greater effort in your own power, but rather to allow Jesus to reign and rule in your life in such a way that he displaces them and replaces them. So my prayer this morning is that you would make a commitment to make God the only God that you serve. Remember, Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Whatever you need to do today, respond as the Lord leads you when the band plays. Let's pray. Father, I want to start this morning just asking for your forgiveness, God, because I put so many things in front of you. God, I try to fill my life with things that you should fill me with. I turn to things for comfort when I should be turning to you. 
I turn to things for security when I should be turning to you. I turn to things for fulfillment and purpose when I should be turning to you, Lord. Father, help us to remove anything that we have that is in front of you, God. To to ask for your forgiveness, to repent, Lord, to be on our knees, and to put you first in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.